What happens when you take a beloved movie, replace almost everyone in it, and try to make lightning strike twice? Well, if you're on a golf course and there's lightning, you run. If you're trying to make Caddyshack 2, you also run. But all's fair on the fairway as we rewatch this dog's leg of a film, and if we hurry, we can make it to Buddy Skyler's in time for brunch. All to prove to you that Caddyshack 2 is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that takes a look at A grades in B movies. And I gotta say, I am excited for this one because we're taking on a movie that when I first saw it, I really liked it. And clearly, I'm not the only one because joining me on the show today are Brian and Gomez from Playlist Wars, and we're talking Caddyshack 2. Guys, how are you doing? What's up? What's up, man? What's going on? Now, before we get into talking about the movie, uh, Brian, I'm going to ask you, because you were the one who, as soon as I mentioned, uh, you know, if, if there's movies out there you'd like to talk about, um, you did your best Hunger Games volunteers tribute and put forth Caddyshack 2. What is it about Caddyshack 2 that inspired you to put uh, put it forth? Because honestly, when I first saw the movie, it was the first Caddyshack movie I saw. I was 11 years old when it came out. So to me, this was my introduction to Caddyshack. And it's one of those movies where at 11 years old, there's a lot of humor aimed at that age demographic. And it wasn't until a year or two later that I saw the first one and went, oh, so that's what the humor is supposed to be. And ever since then, it's kind of skewed my opinion of the movie, but I still don't hate it. I still love it because it was kind of the introduction to me to the Caddyshack series, if you call it that. I I can't really complain because like it's the same for me. Caddyshack 2 was the first Caddyshack film that I saw. And I I don't even think I've still seen the first Caddyshack all the way through. What? What? Uh, Full disclosure. Should be fired. (laughs) But I think that may may actually give me a better appreciation for Caddyshack 2 because I don't really have that comparison to go by. Now, before we get into the details of the movie, this is going to be somewhat newer territory for you guys because normally... Your listeners are used to hearing you guys talk about music. So, Gomez, before we start talking about Caddyshack 2, let us know, what is Playlist Wars? So, Playlist Wars are two best friends, me and Brian, and a special guest. We talk about the show. We talk about a certain band or a certain genre or a certain uh, year or, you know, of music, and we pick our top 10 most ultimate songs. And we compare the list between the three people and we allow the playlisters to vote who got it right. So, you know, if Brian, let's just say 90 soundtrack, Brian had this, I had this and another gentleman had this. Now you listen to it. You listen to us talk about it. Now the, the playlisters vote for who did it, who got it right. And that's something we, we've been enjoying the show. We've been having a lot of fun with it. And man, Brian, and I are just having a great time with it. I just can't speak highly about it. All right, so now it's time. Before we get into like breaking the movie down, Brian, I'm going to hand the microphone over to you. So it's time to take Caddyshack 2 and trailerize it. Jack Cartoonian is a wealthy and widowed real estate developer who, along with his daughter Kate, attempts to join the elite Bushmore Country Club. However, 
The highbrow top echelon rejects that application as Jack builds low-income housing in upscale neighborhoods, something the Bushwood brass looked down upon. Instead of giving up, Jack gives himself a majority ownership of Bushwood by purchasing stock in the club and turns Bushwood into a miniature golf course and amusement park. In retaliation, one of Bushwood's finest, Chandler Young, uses his lawyers and connections to shut down Jack's housing construction site. This leads to the golf battle of the century. Well, 1988. Will this spell the end of an era at Bushwood? Will Jack lose his construction business? Will the gopher be up to more of his crazy antics? Will anyone care? Returning for the ride is Chevy Chase, reprising his role as Ty Webb and... Well, that's that's it actually, unless you count the gopher. Starring Jackie Mason as Jack Hartunian, a PG replacement for Rodney Dangerfield's Al Servant. And Robert Stack as Chandler Young, a PG replacement for Ted Knight's Judge Smiles. Dan Aykroyd as Captain Tom Everett, a PG replacement for Bill Murray's Carl Spackler. And Jonathan Silverman in his pre-Weekend at Bernie's role as a peachy version of Michael O'Keefe's Danny Newton. The movie also stars Randy Quaid as attorney Peter Blunt and Frank Welker as the voice of the gopher. Yes, he talks now, but stay with us, folks. And best of all, Kenny Loggins is back with a brand new theme song, which some might say is even catchier than It's Alright. Caddyshack 2. Everything you love about Caddyshack without all of the foul language, nudity, adult themes, violence, and some would say humor. The Shack is back. I will say, if you haven't had a chance to listen to Playlist Wars, once you're done this episode, go listen to their show. You're going to have a ton of fun. You can't you can't not play along while you're while you're listening to one of their episodes. It is a ton of fun. And truth be told, Caddyshack 2 actually gets a mention in one of their episodes. We'll get into that a little bit later, but let's talk about mm-hmm. Caddyshack 2. For, for those who don't know, this was released in 1988, eight years after the original film. And I'll admit that while I was doing a rewatch of the film, I had to go find out. This was in 1988. In 1987, I don't know if you guys remember this, Dorf on Golf was mm-hmm. released. I and, remember that. Which I think had better laughs overall than Caddyshack 2. So... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I know. I enjoy the Dorf series. It was it was fun for what it, it was, was, but maybe because it was only like half an hour, like for each one, maybe, <laughs> but quite possibly. Uh, the movie itself stars, and this is actually a decent list of of actors: Jackie Mason, Robert Stack, like Ultra Magnus from Transformers: The Movie, Robert Stack, Diane Cannon, Dana Merrill. Jonathan Silverman, who most people will remember from Weekend at Bernie's, a pre-Wilson Phillips, China Phillips, Randy Quaid, Chevy Chase, and Dan Aykroyd. But as I was going through the list, I always like to figure out who was almost in this film. And apparently, originally cast in the Randy Quaid role was Sam Kinison. Yes. Yes. And that was what... Rodney Dangerfield and Harold Ramis, who was one of the original writers of this movie, had in mind for this role. And it's it's tough because now that I know that fact, when I watch it, I'm like, I love Peter Blunt. It's one of my favorite parts of Caddyshack 2. <laughs> yeah, it is. But there's a part of me that says, man, I would love to hear Kinnison's take on this character. 
because you just think about Kinnison's uh, interaction with Rodney Dangerfield and back to school. And that's all that, uh, enough said. It would definitely be a louder take on it. That's for sure. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt, it would be a lot louder. I mean, he, there's one scene that I truly love out of this movie and that's the uh, Peter Blunt system. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll go through that in a little bit when we get to that scene, I guess, but uh Truly awesome movie, I gotta say. I I loved it from the beginning when it came out. Still love it to this day. Watched it last night. Watched a little bit before I came on here, getting the kids to bed. And it's just it's just one of those movies I can watch over and over again. Now the film had to be directed um, by Alan Arkish, and this was his last ever theatrical release as a director. Now he's gone on to direct a number of TV shows. <laughs> I mean, once, I know, you, right? once, you, once you direct the pinnacle of movies, why would you try to top it? Right. Just drop, drop <laughs> the director's clapboard. You're done. He would actually go on to direct episodes of Nashville NCIS, the client list heroes in crossing Jordan. But before he actually directed this movie, he had actually done a bunch of music videos. He had directed videos for the Ramones Three of them, in fact. Uh, do you want to dance? I just want to have something to do and I want you around. Dawkin, he did the Breaking the Chains video. Yep, yep. And Elvis Costello, the the only flame in town. So there's actually a decent directing pedigree before taking on this movie. And a fun, fun fact about Alan, he is actually a New Jersey native like Gomez and I. He's from Jersey City. So... Well, I'm from Rutherford, technically. Yeah, right down the street. <laughs> right down right down Route, route 1 three. and 9, dude. Yeah, yeah route, route 1 and three. 9, Turnpike, Route 3. No matter what, somewhere, you can get to you can get to Jersey City where I used to live. Yeah, hop, <laughs> skip, and a jump. Now, when the movie came out, it had a $20 million budget. And it grossed just under $12 million uh, through a theatrical run. When it was released, July 22nd, 1988, that opening weekend, it debuted at number 8. There were three major debuts that weekend. Um, none of them made to number one because a little movie by the name of Who Framed Roger Rabbit was holding down the top spot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Caddyshack 2 was number eight. Just above it was Big Top Pee Wee sitting at number seven. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> which, which they were very close. I mean, Caddyshack 2 debuted at about 4.4 million. Uh, Big Top Pee Wee at 4.6. And the highest debut that week at number five was Midnight Run at 5.5. But if you take a look at the gross, I mean, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was only at 8.9 million that weekend. So it actually wasn't that bad. But I wonder how much, because let's be honest, Caddyshack 2, it's designed for a lot of slapstick laughs. I wonder how much Big Top Pee Wee kind of took out of the potential box office. I would hmm. think that because you are going for kind of the same age demographic because Pee Wee's Big Adventure adventure was aimed for anywhere from eight to 13 right in that age range and as much as they don't want to admit it that's exactly where caddy shack 2 was focused gopher and all <laughs> we love the gopher <laughs> now, now when it comes to critical acclaim um quote unquote critical acclaim uh it won two razzies it won for worst supporting actor for dan Aykroyd. yes and worst original song for the song Jack Fresh by Full Force. And mm -hmm. I had to go back and actually listen to it. And uh, I'm not going to lie. It probably deserved to to win that because that, that song is not good. But when you look at Full Force, they're not actually that bad as far as 
a, a band goes, although they're probably more successful as producers. They had U.S. pop number one hits with Lisa, Lisa and Cult Jam as producers <laughs> for Head to Head to Toe and Lost in Emotion. They hit number three as a producer on the U.S. pop charts for Samantha Fox's Naughty Girls Need Love too. Like, there's actually a decent discography both as performers and producers. This song was not that. And you guys, you guys have heard the soundtrack. Is this song indicative of the full soundtrack or is this song just an outlier of it? I, to be honest with you, I probably think an outlier. <laughs> it's just one of those songs like, why did they make it? Yeah, but you're putting it up against a song that is one of the best Kenny Loggins songs ever. That's and that true. would be Nobody's nobody's Fool. And I know everyone's going to be yelling at their, at their uh, radios right now, calm down. It's not Danger Zone. It's Nobody's Fool. So you need to be thankful for Caddyshack 2 just because of that alone. Now, it was also nominated for two more Razzies. It was nominated for Worst Film, but lost to Cocktail. Really? And Jackie, yeah. Cocktail won Worst Film that year. But you, but you also have to remember, the other movies that were with it are a who's who cornucopia of... <laughs> Uh, future it's not that bad episodes because you have hot to trot which was awesome (laughs) and you had mac and me which was so bad it was brilliant which we have done on this show and it actually wasn't all that bad Uh, and jackie mason was nominated for worst actor he lost to sylvester stallone for rambo three that year Oh, Rambo geez. three was pretty bad. That was the other one I was going to mention as, as far as movies you could, uh, I, I didn't hate it. I saw it in the theater with my parents. I don't know why they brought me at 11 years old, but I think my father wanted to see it at that point, which I don't if blame I'm, your dad. <laughs> if I remember correctly, Rambo three may have had, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Rambo three may have had the most Rambo line of dialogue ever. What's that? It's a blue light. What's it do? <laughs> Turns blue. <laughs> and if it wasn't for Rambo 3 you wouldn't have gotten the beautiful parody in UHF mm, yes mm. absolutely True. Uh, on the Rotten Tomato score which is you know the, the kind of the be all end all of what, what movies kind of get on this show it sits at a um, distinguished 4% tomato meter with an 18% audience score. So before we get into the breakdown, I'm, I'm going to ha- you know pass this over to you guys, and we'll start with Gomez. Who's, who's more right on this, the tomato meter or the audience score? I'm probably going to go with the audience score. I think the tomato meter is a little harsh, 4%, really. I, I mean, I figure Caddyshack 2 has become a cult classic too now, you know what I mean? Um, I... I got to say, this movie was hilarious. And as I'm watching it now at, oh, I'll say my age, 41 years old, compared to my 9 and 10 and 11-year-old self at that time, or actually I was a couple of years younger than Brian, so 8-year-old eight year old self or 9-year-old self watching it at that time, I thought this movie was great then, and I still think this movie is great now. I'm going with the audience with this one just because it was fun. Um, the tomato score, eh, you know. I was looking at it. I'm like, really, four percent? That's 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 pretty low. I think I've never seen, but I mean, some of the stuff, some of the stuff that um, people have said on the uh, on the the Rotten Tomatoes webpage is kind of a little harsh. You know what I mean? Um, you know, one of my favorites is the outfits are a scream. The movie is not <laughs> uh, said by uh, 
Marianne something from the Philadelphia News. Uh, another one is the results of disaster. Mason founders him in his a poorly written role. And one of the film's endless series of gags is the, is the least bit funny. Oh, I got to say that a lot of the gags were hilarious. So I'm going with not the supporters, but with the audience with this one. <laughs> Brian? Oh, look, I think they're both wrong. But if we're going to have to go with it, we'll go with the audience score just because it's higher. I mean, the audience score has 82% of people wrong about this movie. So that that is, is kind of appalling. But I also kind of want to uh, point out that Caddyshack 2 is actually on Rotten Tomatoes' 50 worst summer movies of all time list. So for a third time, Rotten Tomatoes gets it wrong. I just, it's just, I'm offended. I'm triggered by this. Now I have to find that list. I'm I'm now curious what's what's lumped in there and where it kind of fits around that. But let's let's get into the breakdown and we're going to start with the acting. So Brian, we're going to start with you. Who... Who do you start with as far as good acting in Caddyshack 2? As far as acting goes, look, it's not meant to be a movie where the acting is meant to drive any emotion out of you other than belly laughs. And for that, I have to give Randy Quaid the the nod in this one because he just essentially plays a more amped up and deranged version of Cousin Eddie from the Vacation movies and he steals every scene he's in in the movie because of that. So as much as I would have loved to see Kinnison in this role, I think Randy Quaid kind of does it for me in this movie. I think he was the funniest part of it. He's probably one of the good parts of that whole movie, too. I, I'll agree with you on Brian on that one, Brian. See, I don't know. And maybe it's just because, you know, I'm more familiar with Randy Quaid as far as, you know, Independence Day kind of stands out for me. Yes. It's, al- it's almost like Randy Quaid's character kind of hits rock bottom at the end of Caddyshack 2, and that's where we find him in Independence Day, kind of like washed up and on the bottle. If we're <laughs> if we're entering a Randy Quaid universe here. And it, it's a little weird now when you, when you realize that Sam Kinison was the original idea for that role, and it's almost like, should Randy Quaid have maybe notched it up a bit? I don't know. It's, it's hard to say. But he he does stand out as some as some of the more, you know, I, iconic as far as the, the the louder moments, especially when it comes to you know provoking the rich people at the club. Definitely, definitely, he is his humor in this is plus it was closer to where I was at eleven and twelve years old. He was kind of the. I don't even want to say comic relief, but I related more to the Randy Quaid character than I did the Jackie Mason character because at 12 years old or 11 years old or whatever it was in in 88, Jackie Mason's style of humor went over my head for the most part. There were a few lines he delivered that I really laugh out loud to to this day, but a lot of his character didn't hit with me as much as a Rodney Dangerfield, which was a much more over-the-top version of the Jackie Mason character. I will say watching this movie at my age of 47, or almost 47, <laughs> we're, we're just a couple of weeks away from 47 here. So, um, But watching it now, you realize that the movie is about an hour and a half of Jackie Mason dad jokes. So yes, yes. I think the, the Randy Quaid comedy definitely stands out a lot better than the Jackie Mason comedy. Jackie Mason's jokes, I don't think kind of hit because it, it was, it was, it was almost delivered like the, I said something funny. <laughs> um, and it just felt a little bit forced. 
But one who didn't feel that forced was Chevy Chase. I don't know what it is about him, you know, as as literally the last man standing from the original Caddyshack, but he just delivers those one-liners, those 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 subtle little one-liners with such ease. You know, he almost he almost anchors the entire movie just by himself. And he's in in it the shortest amount of time, pretty much, of all the quote unquote starring roles. I think he's only in the movie for five minutes of screen time. That's about it, yeah. And uh, when you're talking about funny lines in it, it, the one that I have written in my notes is we're talking mucho dinero and probably some American money yeah. too. <laughs> one of my favorite lines from him in that movie was, "You know, I'm always shooting myself with one of those poison dipped uh, crossbow arrows." I don't know why they put warning on these things. Um, one of my favorite lines or it's like, do you mind sucking the poison out? And he goes, is there any money involved with that? <laughs> it, it definitely fits into the, the Chevy Chase role. I mean, if you take a look at his movies that came out around that time, you know, there was the vacation movies, you know, there was Fletch, like Chevy Chase in the eighties, you know, there was a whole lot of comedy that kind of revolved around him it, it had held perfectly. Like he was, and again, not having seen the first Caddyshack, you know, it was definitely a lot smoother delivery as far as the jokes go. When it comes to one of those movies where it's that us versus them, the middle class versus the upper class, though, you, you also kind of want your, you know, your rich snobs to be, you know, really snobbery. Robert Stack and Dina Merrill were so good in this role, especially Robert Stack. Like just that perfect level of, I can't stand you, even though you're Robert Stack and you're awesome, but I really can't stand you in this. Mm-hmm. Cause I'll remember him as a uh, unsolved mysteries at that time. <laughs> Robert Stack. No, Robert Stack will always be from airplane as far as I'm. Oh concerned. yeah, that too. Yes, that too. <laughs> yes. I agree with you, <laughs> but, but it is funny because yes, the first thought of Robert Stack may come as unsolved mysteries in a very serious role. And he has a very serious demeanor in everything that he brings, but he is ridiculously funny when he's put into those roles. Like, like Brian, like you mentioned, like airplane, he's perfect for that. It, it, the perfect, the perfect straight man in any comedic situation. And he just, it, he brought so much to that role. And one of the lines he actually does in Caddyshack 2 that still to this day makes me laugh out loud just based on his deadpan delivery. Uh, his wife was yelling at him, saying that Jack Hartunian about Jack, the man tried to kill me. And Chandler goes, I'm sure he had his reasons. <laughs> what but it was I, uh... so, so calm and so deadpan that it's just the perfect delivery because if you delivered that line over the top, it would not have been funny. Mm-hmm. My One of my uh, favorite lines from him as uh, Chandler Young, interesting club. What do you call that? 12 gauge. <laughs> 12 gauge. <laughs> like, you, ever notice, you ever notice that Robert's like the, the husband and wife, I don't think they like each other. I'm pretty sure Dina Merrill's, you know, Mrs. Young, a pretty, she spent more time with the guy who played Mr. Jameson than I think she did with Robert Stack. I am sure that was probably a plot point that they were trying to iron out as they were shooting it because from what I recall, this movie was actually shot late summer of 87 with a quick turnaround to be released, as like you mentioned, in, in 88 uh, because of all of the nonsense going on 
trying to get this thing off the ground. There were, there were a lot of plot points that were, yes, like you mentioned, like there was that, it was like, it was there and it wasn't really talked about. Diane Carroll, the the cousin to to the Youngs, you know, <laughs> and, and the, the the eventual love interest of, of Jackie Mason, um, A, thought she was great. Reminded me very much of uh, Sarah Jessica Parker's role in L.A. Story with Steve Martin. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, and I'm, and I'm watching this movie and I'm like, Okay, they're so particular about who gets to join the club, and yet she's part of it. Who is she? Half an hour in, half an hour in, and they finally mentioned that she was, you know, part of the family. And it was just like a like an offline by uh, by China Phillips's character. I'm like, oh, that's why she's there. And there <laughs> it's like you have these people that are there, and it's like, why are why are they there? Why are you part of this club, right? But she was. A lot of fun, like the, very much that the conscience that Jackie Mason needed. Yes, very much so. Yeah. And then you got the kids. <laughs> I will admit, I will admit, I was today years old when I found it, uh, when I realized that that was China Phillips from Wilson Phillips in this movie. I never actually dug that deep into it. All of a sudden you realize like, oh, wait, that that that's, you know, hold on for one more day, China Phillips. You know, yeah. In yeah. this movie. And She's great in this. Like, oh, that 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 perfect, you know, snobby brat, but doesn't realize she's a snobby brat. Miffy, <laughs> Miffy, <laughs> Muffy. I know a girl named Muffy, but she. There was, they probably called her that for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> like, it takes. If you think about any movie, the villain always has to, you know, the quote unquote villain always has to be better acted, and between China Phillips. And Brian McNamara, who was Todd, you know, you, know, you, you had stuck up snotty brat and total douche, but they they played it so well. Like you, you really didn't like this family by the end of it, but they were the ones who did, especially Miffy. She didn't think she was wrong with anything, especially the beginning of the movie, too. Yeah, yeah. Caddy. Bri- to me, oh. Brian McNamara was as close to an 80s bad guy douche as a William Zabka in a back to school or a karate kid. Like he nailed that snobby stuck up. I mean, and William, uh, William Zabka was also in that movie. Just one of the guys. I was just about what? to say, you forgot one important movie, Brian. Yeah. And, and he plays that same type of character that Brian McNamara is playing in Caddyshack too. So I always felt like, Man, if they had all the money, they you know imagine William Zabka in this role. That would have been, you know, even funnier. But I, I think Brian Mac, uh, Namara did a great job with this one, especially uh, when he's like telling uh, Peter Blunt how his system is. You know, what I mean, it's all about the money and how he could uh, tie him up for litigations and stuff like that. He goes, "Well, thank you, thank you for telling me about your system." <laughs> and, 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 you know, he just goes off hell. Like, oh, let me tell you about the Peter Blunt system. It, it it made for a nice, you know, counterbalance to the Hartoonians. Um, Jackie Mason, when we talked about, like, his delivery of the jokes and all that. And, you know, I mean, p- personally, Jackie Mason's jokes didn't quite stick. But I did enjoy Jessica Lundy as Kate, the daughter. Um, I, again, very much that, that 80s, you know, the... 
you you have those those images of pretty in pink and then uh, mm-hmm. the Ioni Sky character and say anything how you know they they're so focused on fitting in that they 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 realize they don't realize just how much they already do fit in with their own family like she was good in that role because it wasn't over the top no she was very she was straight sweet and had a little bit of a bite to her character if you want to call it that uh yeah i mean she you know she was trying to fit in but she also you know she comes to realization that uh you know she is who she is and you know especially when um Miffy was trying to change her name to Kate Hart. I want to say Muffy, but I can't. I just, every time, every time I hear that character's name, I that was just one of the funniest parts of the movie that they called her Miffy. It's just Muffy. I know a girl named Muffy, but they call her for other reasons. I love that line so much. I'm but, I'm, I'm flashing back to the movie Ted. Uh, Miffy would be one of those stripper names that Ted would blurt out in that sequence. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> But look, the the thing about Jackie Mason in this movie, you need to remember that this was originally written by Harold Ramis specifically for Rodney Dangerfield. So it's if you really listen to some of the jokes, they are Jackie Mason delivered Rodney Dangerfield jokes. Some of them are straight out of Jackie Mason's routines and other ones are recycled lines that would have been meant for Dangerfield spit out of Jackie Mason's mouth. And I think that's where some of the delivery felt short. And again, Jackie Mason's comedy at the time, he was doing a sold out Broadway show. So he was basically going after the 40, late 40s, early 50s type of crowd. And again, this movie's focused on maybe 13 and under. So his some of his jokes did fall flat. But as you get older, some of the one-liners now, I think, are funnier than they were to 11-year-old me because of the fact that I'm older and I kind of understand his delivery a little bit more now. I mean, when he was walking on the, uh, the metal on his apartment building and he goes, take chances, I'm insured. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is the most unsafe construction site I think I've ever seen <laughs> in cinematic history. <laughs> First of all, who plays poker in the middle of a building that has no floors? And that and that's one of my favorite another favorite one of my scenes too is when the Spanish guy is speaking to him in Spanish and he's like, you know, I raise you Mr. Hartunian in Spanish. And then um Jackie Mason going, and he was like, God bless him. The guy thinks he's going to get away with that cocky, mean uh, Spanish bull. And he goes, at least his checks don't bounce. Amen to that, brother. <laughs> I, I will give Jackie Mason credit, though. For the times that they were really pushing the fact that, that, that Jack Hartunian is actually a, a good guy at heart. I think that's when Jackie Mason kind of, you know, stood out in this role and started to do really well. The minute he started to get a little bit crazy and the physical comedy, uh, you know, as you were mentioning there, the, you know, very much the Roddy Dangerfield part, um, it did feel a little bit almost out of his wheelhouse. But the parts where he was showing that he was, you know, a good dad, a, a good boss, he actually, I think, fit that part really well. 
I can't agree more because I can't picture some of the, and I'm dare I use the word, quote unquote, heartfelt talks he had with his daughter where it gets a little more, I don't know what the word would be, but a little sentimental. I cannot picture Rodney Dangerfield doing that because even in Back to School, which I think is still one of the funniest 80s comedies ever, even when he was being quote unquote serious with his love interest and his kid, there was always the, like he never lasted more than one line without a Rodney joke. And that's kind of the brilliance of who he was as a comedian. And I, I think it would have been written differently had Rodney been in this role. I don't think there would have been as much of the sentimental dynamics as there are in this version. So I, I, Thumbs up on that one, definitely, man. Without a doubt. I mean, um, if Rodney was on there, it, it would definitely, I mean, like you said, Brian, he had, like, serious parts. Uh, you know, he tried to be, I don't know how serious he could be in Back to back to School because that was a classic, especially when he, he was uh, trying to get divorced from Vanessa. Like, here's you in Georgia. Who's the midget? <laughs> and, you know, and he has to deliver that one-liner, you know what I mean? And um, and this one, I'm trying to think of, you know, where – um when uh, Jackie Mason and his daughter Kay were having that fight when they, when she was like, I'm leaving and all that stuff at the, at the house. And that was like one of those moments. And, you know, remember uh, the, uh, what was her character's name from um, Diane Cannon's Elizabeth. But she goes, weren't you just hard on her, Jack? You know what I mean? It, it was like one of those, you know, you want to leave, leave. You want to be one of them, be one of them. You know what I mean? Like he, you know, he, his character was proud of, who he is and what he has done. And she was, and then I feel like, you know, that's how some of the things happen these years, you know, with the eighties and nineties, you're trying to fit with a crowd. You're trying to fit with this. You're trying to fit with that. And it doesn't happen. You know what I mean? You, you are who you are. And I, and I feel that was like one of those important twists of the movie too. You know what I mean? And that, that was also a really good Diane Carroll moment. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about her being the conscious for Jackie Mason for the most part of the movie, right? Because she's related to the youngs, because she's related to these rich snobs and clearly not of that ilk, even though she is of their blood as far as the, the movie goes. She's watching Jackie Mason with a big old bowl of popcorn and just frustrating the crap out of Robert Stack and Dina Merrill's character. But that's that really was, again, a part where... She brought, she brought the heart to that moment. There, there were a surprising number of actually heartfelt moments in the in a movie with a with a gopher. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Come on. The, the the beginning of the movie is the gopher. Come on. You know. Now, now here's something about the gopher that a, a lot of people we haven't talked about yet. I I really I'm, I'm kind of surprised we haven't talked about this yet. The gopher. In. Caddyshack 2 is voiced. He speaks. Oh, yeah, he does. He's got a couple of one-liners in that one. (laughs) And the best part about it is he's voiced by Frank Welker, who voiced, if you're a Scooby-Doo person, Fred. If you remember Orbity from the Jetsons, and then for the My Childhood, Megatron and Soundwave, of the Transformers. I mean, this guy was a fantastic voice and he's somehow is relegated to doing ah, root beer in this one. 
as the oh, fungor. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, which was one of my favorite, one of his lines. Which, for the record, Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, would in no way be able to, I think, voice the Gopher. So score no. score one for Megatron. If one shall stand, one shall fall. Megatron stands tall as the voice of the Gopher. But there, there that caused quite a bit of a problem for the production because the original Caddyshack, Bill Murray uh, put a lot of creative input into like the, the, the concept of the gopher to the point of when the movie was in post-production, apparently Bill Murray actually sued them for kind of taking his idea and not crediting him for it. The, the whole thing was settled at a court for quote unquote, an undisclosed, you know, uh, source of money, but it still allowed us to have a Megatron voiced gopher. <laughs> and you know, you talk about that budget before of $20 million, industrial light and magic, you know, the, uh, the star Wars guys yes. <laughs> supplied the, the visual, I can't even say this without laughing. Supplied the visual effects for the gopher. So there's that. I mean, it, the first movie, he's a friggin' ham puppet, and it was still as funny. But for oh. some reason, the producers of Caddyshack 2 <laughs> needed a voice, felt the need to contact Industrial. Hey, you guys just did a great job on Return of the Jedi. Do we. <laughs> Do we have a movie for you? <laughs> I wonder what they thought when they came out the Caddyshack too for that. <laughs> like I, I, I get that there's animatronics in there, and and the animatronics yeah, are fun. Yeah. And yes, the, the gopher is cute as hell. The the gopher is always fun to watch. But it's like there was one point where he's running away from Dan Aykroyd as he's shooting down the hole. Oh my god! Yes, and and I'm just watching like. Did you like buff up the the, the design? Because <laughs> from the back, he's looking kind of jacked for for a gopher. <laughs> I'll tell you, that was one of the greatest lines. He's going through his bag, and he's like, "Oh, Twinkie!" <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, you know, he comes with that. Oh my god, that semi-automatic gun. And you're right, he was jacked. I mean, he ran like he could run the forty in three seconds flat. But it was hilarious because. He jumps in a bat of popcorn, okay? Now, a gopher jumps into a bag of popcorn, and you're telling me the bullets don't hit him? <laughs> and then he comes up with... Now, all of a sudden, the gopher's got five little digits, and he gives the middle finger and goes, Oh, fungor! <laughs> yeah, now, now, now he's Italian. <laughs> the, the gopher talks. Are you really trying to sus not suspend disbelief that popcorn is bulletproof? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And like, how's popcorn? How the hell did he not get shot through popcorn? But again, <laughs> I mean, also, come on. The gopher went into the dining room area and had a, a bottle of wine. <laughs> He, he, no one, all right, no one notices the gopher goes through the dining room area when they're having that uh, auction, right? Yeah. He, he just crawls right through. Let me climb a table. Let me get a glass of wine. Let me make a mess of myself here, dripping wine all over him, which I'm surprised that, you know, he didn't get any stains on him. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and that's where, you know, Jack Hartoonian's betting on everybody, not betting, but winning everyone's services. Um, if anybody remembers the scene, he does that. He's got that awesome 
blue blazer jacket. <laughs> that sticks out like a sore thumb. Wasn't that like the same one you wore at your wedding, Gomez? I think? No, was that wasn't it? my wedding. <laughs> well, that, it could have been, but I think Laura would have killed me at that point. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah, especially someone wanted the coattails. <laughs> now, a bit understated, Marsha Warfield's character, so basically like the 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 foreman to, to Jack Hartunian, I don't, like in 1988, I don't know if there's a more perfect actor to fit that role. No, she was perfect in it. Now, she was okay. really good. This also makes me miss Night Court now. Yeah, Night Court, definitely. Roz. <laughs> the, the one question, though, I did have, th- this was a very much you know a, a toss-up for me, though, was Jonathan Silverman. Uh, the caddy who, you know, was kind of like the, the meat cute for Kate and then, you know, was uh, was Jack Artunian's partner during the uh, during the, the final golf competition. I don't know whether I liked him or not in this. You know, part of me still saw him as Weekend at Bernie's and it's very much Jonathan Silverman pretty much played himself, I think, in both. Um, just fewer dead people in this one. You know what the funny thing is, though, about what you're saying right there? I said the same thing. That, oh, you know, I liked him more when I saw him in Weekend at Bernie's. I just found out today that Weekend at Bernie's came out a year after Mm -hmm. Caddyshack 2. And in my brain, just in time, I always felt like, oh, I like, because I remember Weekend at Bernie's 2, which is probably on par with Caddyshack 2, if you think about it. But Weekend at Bernie's, I always thought was earlier in the 80s. I didn't realize it was in 89 after Cat. So this was kind of what got him into Weekend at Bernie's. So you should thank Caddyshack too, or else we might not have Weekend at Bernie's. I never really thought of it that way. <laughs> Neither did I, but I actually liked his character in this movie. Oh, I think, I think the character itself worked well. And I mean, he, you know, he he brought a, a bit of a charm to it because, again, it's it's the meet cute character and also still plays a bit of conscience for for Kate. If Diane Carroll is the conscience for for Jackie Mason, Jonathan Silverman, I think, is the conscience for um, for Jessica Lundy, for Kate. Yeah, and it's, a, and it's a good balance there, too, of that. Mm-hmm. I have to ask because we mentioned that there's a lot of the story of Caddyshack that kind of got almost, you know, to, to coin a, a video game phrase, you know, poured it over to, you know, Caddyshack 2. They basically took the same script, changed a bunch of actors and said, okay, well, let's do it again, just a bit more over the top to the point of you could sit there and say, okay, well, you know, Jackie Mason, that was the, you know, supposed to be Rodney Dangerfield. Obviously, Dan Aykroyd took the Bill Murray role. Of, <laughs> of the ones who kind of took over the roles from Caddyshack roles, was there anyone here who was an upgrade from the first Caddyshack? There is a very close second, but not an upgrade. And that would be Robert Stack as Chandler Young being a PG replacement for Ted Knight's Judge Smales. I mean, Ted Knight was perfect in the first movie for the snobbery with, with just an over-the-top brass to it. And Robert Stack had that, but he wasn't as over the top and a little more stuffy, which worked for this movie. But at the end of the day, Ted Knight's lines are much more memorable from the first movie. 
and and we're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think another uh, upgrade is um, I, I like the original Danny Noonan, but I thought with Jonathan Silverman, I thought it was a little bit more of an upgrade because he I felt like he he wasn't trying to win something except for, you know, college money probably where he was in trying to, uh, where Danny Noonan's Michael O'Keefe's character was trying to impress a judge so he can go to law school. I think it was, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, and I just felt like, um, it was just a little bit more of an upgrade, but both were actually decent golfers uh, actually. So couldn't go wrong with that, but man, when you have a choice between Jackie Mason or Ronnie Dangerfield as your golf partner, I'm not sure who I would take. <laughs> The worst slice in golf history, or maybe just the worst golfer in history. I don't know. You you almost need Bob Euchre to, to come on to the, the movie go just a bit outside. <laughs> <Just pretty much. laughs> Especially with Jackie Gleason slicing that movie. Uh, Jackie, Jackie Mason um, slicing that movie. See, now I want to see Jackie Gleason in that role. <laughs> you know what? That would have been hilarious, maybe. He, could, he probably very easily but, could have pulled that off. But I don't think he could have because you know why? He had that such a serious role uh, in The Hustler as Minnesota Fat. So for me, that's that would be tough to to, to do because he's he's such a good actor. I and mean, if you ever saw him in uh, The Hustler with, um, oh, God, what was Fat City Felton's name? Uh, Paul Newman mm-hmm. uh, in that movie. And I just don't know if he would – I don't know if he could do a, a Caddyshack role. I mean, I uh, granted he did Buford T. Justice. I mean, the first two were good. The third one, I, I ain't going there. <laughs> but, I know. I think Ralph Cramden era Jackie Gleason in the Jackie Mason role. I I could probably see it. When you take a look at the plot of this film, right? It's very much you know the the us versus them, the the working class versus you know the upper class, the rich snobbery. Uh, you know, you think about the the movies that around that time, Revenge of the Nerds. Ski school, and even major league, right? Or, or even like a little bit later, you got dodgeball or mystery Alaska. So, as as an us versus them film, does this stick the landing? Oh wow! Um, not as much as dodgeball. Dodgeball no. to me was a perfect comedy. I still laugh as hard as I did the first time I saw that one. This was a very well done for 11-year-old me, Us versus Them movie. Again, pre-Revenge of the Nerds. Once I saw the original and I saw the Revenge of the Nerds, I started seeing why I like those movies more. Same thing with Revenge of the Nerds 2. It, it had a lot of funny moments, but then you see Revenge of the Nerds 1. So to me, Caddyshack 2 is the gateway drug of Us versus <laughs> Them movies. Especially when he bought the uh, Bushwood Estates from Ty Webb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially when he, uh, what was that one line when uh, Robert Stack's Chandler Young goes, now, you know, now that you own it, I don't know what you're going to do with the club. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like he just bought, when everyone goes, where did you get these stocks? Ty Webb. And everyone's Ty like, Ty Webb. Webb. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and that's one of uh, Brian's favorite lines. We're talking mucho. Which De Niro and some American money too, <laughs> you know, and and who and a guy who sits there was a line in the beginning of the movie he goes, it's it's so hard being a, oh god, what do you say? And I just watched it last night too. Oh, it's kind of hard to stay around uh, 
playing around with $2 million a month or something like that. Trust fund guy, you know what I mean? And I'm like, $2 million a month? I can't even get, I'm lucky if I can get $20 a month from anybody. <laughs> you know, but it just like his character just being that rich guy, but he doesn't care. He's playing golf in a, what, $2 million mansion in a golf course? Who the hell plays golf inside a house? Well, he did, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, I think he uh, he hits the carpet one, and as he's, you know, trying to push it down, he goes, ah, oh, a little chunky. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really, they, you know, Chevy Chase gave them a really hard time making this movie, pretty much like he did every film, especially uh, Funny Farm. My wife's from the New England area, and her neighbor, uh, her across-the-street neighbor, if you've ever seen the movie Funny Farm. Of course actually sold the makers of that movie the car that is used as the mail vehicle. Oh, really? That is my wife's neighbor's car. They sold it back to him after the movie was done. Um, so that, that car that where he throws the mail out. Anyway, Chevy Chase stayed in that area where my in-laws are from during the whole making of that movie and people said he was pretty much insufferable to work with. And if you read some of the stories about how he acted on the Caddyshack 2 set with the director, it was the same thing over and over again. Apparently, and I've seen this in both IMDb and on Wikipedia, there was a moment on, on set where Chevy Chase apparently looked over at the director and said, just let me know when, when you you know dub in the, the laugh track and just walked off. Clearly, it was a troubled production, you know, because of so many changes, because of, you know, all the, all the fighting that kind of got to it. And yes, even though it came out eight years after the original, it did feel a little bit rushed. But at the heart of it all, we talked about the, the us versus them concept. And maybe I'm thinking way too much about Caddyshack 2. Thinking way too much about <laughs> a, a movie with an overreading gopher. But... There is a lot about acceptance in this story that I think kind of gets overlooked. You know, Jackie Mason just wants to be accepted for his daughter, for her, for his daughter to be accepted. Um, there's the acceptance of, you know, uh, Jonathan Silverman's character uh, of himself. Like he's just happy with himself and, and just wants, you know, he knows it's a job and he's, he's accepted that kind of thing. Th- there is a lot of character development that maybe kind of goes overlooked in the film. I have to say with all due respect, I think you just put more thought into the (laughs) character direction in that one minute than they did in the entire pre-production of this film. And I I think that is a testament to the actors playing the role, not so much the script. I feel it was in their delivery because if you really listen to some of the dialogue, it sounds like it was written like, Cut. Okay. So what do you want them to say here? Okay. Write that down. Perfect. Say this. Like it just felt very rushed and and forced almost together. So I think it's a credit to the actors and their delivery to kind of make lemonade out of the lemon of a script they had at that point, because it was so many different rewrites for Rodney Dangerfield originally with Harold Ramis. And then when both of them fell off, they brought in other rewriters. So the script was almost a Frankenstein by the time it got into production. Or a suicide squad. Yes. <laughs> or firing by suicide squad. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. I I think you know. There's like you said. There was one point where um, Chevy Chase's character and Jonathan Silver's character trying to help Jackie Mason uh, with just the golfing aspect of the whole thing. You know, he he definitely was not a good golfer in this movie. So for me, seeing that's towards the end of the movie. Not be the ball. Be the ball, yeah, was, be the ball, be the ball. <laughs> well, Brian, I know you're not a golfer, but you go to the driving range. Jason, right. I'm not sure if you ever went golfing. I, I'm going to tell you a story here. Okay. I went golfing. Like, I've, I've gone golfing a couple times. The mm-hmm. first time I went golfing, I sheared the head off of a nine iron. Like, completely <laughs> sheared it off. <laughs> Later that round, I embedded a ball into a tree. Dude, he's good, man. Dude, you Clearly, I used the, I used the twelve gauge club. Apparently, <laughs> well, Brian knows I love to go golfing, and one thing I do remember is when I went my very first time golfing, and I and I never went golfing before this. I always went to the driving range. And I went with a few friends that lived in uh, Pennsylvania. And I remember the, I'll never forget this. All I remember is this, I hit the driver. It looked great. It starts curving into the trees. All you hear is a, a, a knock. Like I thought I hit it. I thought I hit the tree. It wasn't the tree. It looks like I hit a squirrel and the ball landed on the green. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, this is like, could be a replica of Caddyshack too here. Except I, the gopher would have gotten hit with the ball. Um, but for me, I, I love going to golf. And so something like this movie makes me crack up because I do see other players who are not as good as like I am. I'm not the, I'm not a great golfer, but I go out there and I keep practicing. I keep hitting. I haven't been on the golf course in like four months, but you know, I think of like Jackie, uh, Jackie Mason when Chevy Chase and um, uh, Jonathan Silverman have him in that contraction and they're pulling him uh, from one side to the other. (laughs) You know, he's got blinders on it. He looks like a horse was written on him, you know what I mean? Um, But, you know, it's just one of those things that when, as a lover of the sport and a lover of the movie, is is a good combination too. The script, I think, carries a lot of the blame for why this movie is sitting at a 4% tomato meter. And a lot of the times uh, when a movie is that low, people are going to point to the director. But I don't know if this one is really the director's fault. Like it felt competent. The 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 ones the one shot gags, you know, the delivery of certain lines by a lot the majority of the cast. You know, if I think if I would almost be curious if you take ja- Jackie Mason out, put Rodney Dangerfield back in, is this a better film? And does the director like, should this have been his last ever theatrical release as a director? No, I think he made something as good as he could with what he was, the cards he was given. He was brought on last. The script was already done and ironed out by every every Tom, Dick, and Harry and every studio ever to kind of put this Frankenstein script together after Harold Ramis dropped off. And... I feel he made the most of what he had with what, you know, what he had in it. And look, I mean, they had to go as far as including a horse fart joke in it. But again, as an 11 year old kid, that was one of the funniest scenes in the theater to to my buddies and I, it, that, that joke didn't really hold up as much 
now as some of the other more subtle one-liners. But again, they, they were doing something to make it like a, it was a hard PG movie. It was PG, but I mean, they even dropped an F-bomb in it. So, I mean, they really pushed the envelope of what they could do in PG with the movie. And I, I, I think that was, that had to have been ad-libbed. And I think that was, again, credit to the actors in this. I think that whole scene was. It feels like it was. It feels like they kind of just told him to run with it because it, the 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 tangent he goes on just doesn't seem like something that somebody would write out thoughtfully, I mean, if that makes no, sense. You know, I mean, another part is then I'll make a bonfire with a Chippendale, maybe roast that golden retriever. He starts doing the dog noise. Uh, then I'll go upstairs. I'll be coming upstairs, Junior, and I'll grab you by your Brooks Brooks Brothers PJs. I'm going to take that brand new B&W and cram it up your tight ass. Do we have an understanding? See, now I wonder, you know, again, Jackie Mason's lines feel very much like someone else's lines and he's delivering them as best he can. We know Chevy Chase is funny. We know Robert Stack has the ability to be a very good comedic actor, you know, in the role that he's in. Um, I do wonder how much of this was allowed to be improved by the actors on set. I feel like a lot of the Jackie Mason jokes were not so much quote unquote improved, but he, they kind of crafted them around Jackie Mason's delivery of one liners like the, my father was Armenian. My other, my my mother was half Jewish, half English, half Spanish. That's three halves. Oh, she was a big woman. That is right out of the Jackie Mason stand-up. Not mm-hmm. not not like an actual joke he does, but that's the style of comedy he does, and that he was famous for. So I felt like conversations like that were crafted around. Jackie Mason, whereas if Rodney was in the role, it would have been a different conversation that ended up in like a Rodney joke, like pretty much any scene in Easy Money, Back to School, Ladybugs, any Rodney Dangerfield movie. They're all the same and they're all friggin' funny. <laughs> Especially his one-liners. <laughs> yeah. He was one of the masters of it. And and look, Jackie Mason is a brilliant, brilliant comedian. Was he over the top Caddyshack? Maybe not, but I, I I definitely agree. And I think of the movie in a different way now based on what Jason said about kind of bringing a little bit of heart to a role that was supposed to not have any heart. Yeah, I agree. Okay, now we get to one of the, the standout parts of this film, and it's the soundtrack. This, for, for a, a slighted sequel as this is, it has got a killer soundtrack. And if you take a look at who's who on the actual soundtrack itself, it's, it, it is Kenny Loggins, Cheap Trick, The Pointer Sisters, Lisa Lisa and Cult Jam, you know, Eric Martin from Mr. Big, Earth, Wind and Fire. Like it, it, there, there are so many big names on this soundtrack. And I know that one of the songs on here ended up on one on your 80s soundtrack playlist. It certainly did. Uh, correctly. It correctly. And that would be Nobody's Fool, the theme from Caddyshack 2 ended up on my 80s soundtrack playlist. And I get it. A lot of people would say 
oh no, you can't do that for Kenny Loggins. There's it's all right. Or there's danger zone or there's meet me halfway. Well, this was one of the movies I remember going out with my buddies to see in the theaters. I, I didn't see Top Gun until it was on VHS as a kid. So seeing, you know, seeing this was my Kenny Loggins movie moment in theaters. So I guess it holds a little bit of nostalgia for me, but I'll, I'll actually say that Nobody's Fool is a just a better song than I'm All Right if you compare Caddyshack to Caddyshack. And I'm sure that's not a popular opinion, but, you know, it's one I'm going to run with. Uh, it's a good choice. And Brian, again, I, I, I like the choice when we did our uh, 80s movie soundtrack. And to this day, I kind of agree with him on this one. You know, when you're looking at Caddyshack 1 and Caddyshack 2, I mean, the song is the opener. And it's kind of why you see Jonathan, Jonathan Silverman running through the whole, you know, the whole golf course just to get a diet root beer, you know. <laughs> And, you know, it's kind of funny. He's running throughout the whole course. And you notice that in one spot, he kind of walk runs. It's like right in front of the building. I'm like, everyone's going to see you. Everyone sees you running. Why walk there? I don't get it. That's like at the pool. You know, you run around the edge of the pool until you get to that sign that says no running at the pool. You walk, you you speed walk past that sign. Shuffle. And, yeah, then you, yeah, yeah. and then you start running again. <laughs> it's like, what's the point? <laughs> just run. I am so glad you brought up the root beer. The diet root beer. Yeah. A hire's root beer. Yeah. And I'm watching I'm like, okay, this is one of those 80s moments. I haven't had a hire's root beer in a while. And I had to look this up because like, you know, there are certain drinks that I remember having back in the day, you know, tab cola, I'm looking at you where you just can't get them anymore. Right. Chilt. I love I oh, oh God I love Joel. RC Joel. Cola I RC Cola love RC Cola you cannot get it up here in Canada CNC Cola is another one mm-hmm. but Hires Root Beer okay first let me ask you guys when was the last time you remember actually drinking a Hires Root Beer oh, if- oh my God nineteen eighty something. 88, 89, maybe definitely I yeah I was gonna say I don't remember any ever having one from high school on like not even close. So now, grammar school maybe. The next time you have a Hires root beer, I want you to, to remember that it is Hires root beer, the longest continuously made soft drink in the United States. Huh. Made in 1876, it has been around for 145 years, longer than Coke, longer than Sprite, longer than Pepsi. Hires root beer, longest continuously made soft drink in the US. Wow, that's a fun fact that I I can use next time I'm on Jeopardy. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but it's also it's also uh, related to A and W and Dad's root beer. Now now I'm going to start debating on what the best root beer is. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question, man. Hires was good too. I, I uh, was a- if you've ever been in 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 the Vermont New England area, Rookies is up there, and we went to the uh, to their one of their a restaurant up in uh, Burlington, Vermont, and had Rookie's Root Beer on tap. Absolutely unbelievable if you've ever had it. it if you haven't, look it up. It's it's friggin' fantastic. I, I still love the fact that you, you point out Kenny Loggins. I'm trying to remember if movies in the 80s were contractually obligated 
to have Kenny Loggins on the soundtrack. You know, you've got, you know, I'm all right with the first Caddyshack. You've got Footloose. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm free. Heaven helps the man from Footloose. Meet me halfway from over the top. Danger Zone. Playing with the boys from Top Gun. Uh, again, nobody's full. But only ever one Academy Award nomination for Best Insane. Original Song. And it was Footloose. I thought maybe over the top, maybe halfway would have been there. That, no, Footloose is the only nomination for Kenny Loggins for the Academy Awards for Best Original Song. I'm I'm starting to think the Academy doesn't like Kenny Loggins because, or they're tone deaf. One of the two. Yeah, because Nobody's Fool should have very easily won in 88. It's one of my favorite Kenny Loggins songs. I'll totally admit it. I'm not going it, to, it's, it's just so much fun. Right, Meet Me Halfway is pretty good too. <laughs> yeah, Meet Me Halfway though, like it tugs on the heartstrings. Nobody's fool just gets me pumped up with those really high falsettos that you know nobody in the car could sing, but you're trying anyway. It's that type of song. Yeah, yeah I, they, I can't. <laughs> if only you can actually tune down the cassette in the car by a half step, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. True, true. You know, it's kind of funny. We haven't talked about Dan Aykroyd's character in this one either. That's a tough one, though, because obviously Bill Murray made that character, you know, and Dan Aykroyd has to step in and replace Bill Murray's character. Yep. And it's almost like he's trying to do a Bill Murray imitation. I I don't know. It it, kind of stood out as odd. No, I thought he did. I think he did a good job, you know, as stepping. It's hard to replace a Bill Murray to begin with. Even though I think his brother was was a co-writer in this movie too, I think with Harold Ramis, um, in this movie actually, I think he got writing credits on this, if I remember correctly, it was uh, Brian Doyle Murray, I think was his name. Yeah, Brian mm-hmm. Doyle Murray. He uh, he had writing credits to Caddyshack too, actually, and I thought I thought he played that character pretty good, especially uh, one of my lines. He's like, "Good, good. That's my policy exactly." You see. That way, when we're captured and they attach a 12-volt car battery to your testicles, which can and does, has happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, that whole scene, just when his, he pulls up in a roach coach, come on, or a food truck. Sorry, don't, I should say a taco truck. Don't have it. No, you'll be getting cheese? the number six, a Fiesta burrito with chili and eggs. <laughs> Which is the most disgusting food I think I've seen made in a film. I oh, saw God. that. I'm just like, oh, oh dear God, thank God I didn't eat beforehand. Oh man, I would have eaten that sucker. That was good. <laughs> I used to work at a record store, and every time if somebody asked for something, in my voice when I'd say, "I'm sorry, we don't have that in stock," in my brain I'd be going, "Don't, don't have, have it." it. <laughs> Actually, I was able to do that at my store. We uh, <laughs> since we couldn't, we didn't have a lot of product. I'm like, don't have it and, and i'm just sure the person you were talking to did not see this movie to, to get the reference actually no they did because they were cracking up when i said it <laughs> <laughs> so that made it that made that sale a whole lot easier that's when you know you're working in the right place if they get the don't have a joke you're in the right place <laughs> yeah but but getting back to dan Eckward's character mm-hmm. there were so many plots in order to eliminate jackie mason why not use the Uzi that's in his bag at the time? 
<laughs> That's a good question. I think they were trying to make Again, it look like an accident. Again, you're way too hard. The they the writers didn't even think that part through, dude. <laughs> I think I think my favorite part is when he blew up he blew up the wrong car. <laughs> uh, one of the things that did actually surprisingly well, and it, it may actually go a little bit. You know, overlooked because of everything else that's going on in Caddyshack too. And Brian, you mentioned it earlier because of um, ILM being involved in the film. The golf ball physics, while yes, completely unbelievable in the way that the golf balls actually work, they looked very realistic. There's some, you know, very subtle, but really good. You know, I guess for lack of a better term, CGI, obviously it's not CGI oh, yeah. at the time, but decent effects work in making the, the, you know, the golf physics believable enough that you're not sitting there going, oh, no. Well, I mean, they, they made Ewoks battling AT-ATs with a Millennium Falcon. I guess a golf ball <laughs> couldn't have been that hard for them to, but they probably charged half the budget for it, though. <laughs> Well, you know, especially when they called half of the Return of the Jedi guys to help out with this movie. I, I mean, look, I I understand it was probably they they like they said, oh, here here's Caddyshack two, give that to the intern, let let him let him design it. But realistically, if you think about the first film, which used nothing like that, at at the time in the late eighties, if you tried to go for the early eighties look, you were behind the times. Because there was a definite difference in movie and filmmaking in the early 80s versus the late 80s. There was almost a, uh, dare I use the word, sheen on movies, uh, if, if that makes sense. And it was the idea of create your own effects in comedies like Caddyshack and Animal House was kind of out the window. And instead you had Talking Horses in 1988 with Hot to Trot. <laughs> <laughs> and talk and talking uh horseflies too. Yes. <laughs> and here we have an animatronic gopher go going to Chowtown on a root beer. And, you and know, a Twinkie. And a Twinkie. Which, you know, now I can see the, the gopher in Zombie Land. Mm. Oh my god. Yeah. That would be kind of funny too. I mean, I can actually picture him in that movie. Great, great cinematic moments in Twinkie history, starring Caddyshack too. <laughs> the Gopher. <laughs> so before we get to our MVPs, though, uh, I have to shout out two. We, we put this out on Twitter as to you know have you have other people seen it and what were their thoughts? Um, Eric from the Two Old Pirates podcast mentioned that he actually did like the movie. Quote unquote. That's three halves. Oh, she was a big woman. <laughs> and Michael's record collection podcast chimed in with, I mean, the Kenny Loggins song was nice, but otherwise. Uh... <laughs> so now that we've kind of gone through all of this, the 4% tomato meter, you know, A, is it unjust? B, how much of that is just the fact that the first Caddyshack was a cult classic and people are so not willing to have people make a sequel based on something that's beloved like that. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. If Caddyshack 2 wasn't family-friendly PG and they used some of these 
comic skills of some of these people and made it at least a PG-13 or went back towards the R, they probably could have done a lot with it. But because of the fact that it was almost a reboot of the first movie in a more family-friendly form, I guess the saving grace for me is basically the nostalgia of the fact that it was the first Caddyshack movie I saw. And that was why the jokes still landed with me, and especially my age at the time. But it's definitely one of those movies that... They didn't get it wrong because I do enjoy the comedy in it. But I feel like... It was, mm, I feel like it was a little harsh, but not totally unjustified, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, I think they, I don't know, I guess they did the best they could. Like you said, Brian, before, you know, uh, the director came in last, I believe you said, right? Yes. And, you know, here's already a written script Go direct it. <laughs> um, I, I think the Rotten Tomato score could have been a little bit higher. I mean, a 4%. I don't think I've seen anything that low yet through Rotten oh. Tomatoes. Oh, there's lower. Trust me, there's I, lower. I, I bet there's lower, and there's probably ones, those are probably movies I like, too. Um, you know, but when you look at it, I think the I think they could have gave it a little bit of a higher score. You know what I mean? The, these guys, I think, really went off script a little bit more than we, we realized, maybe. You know, you know, especially the Jackie Mason character. Um, I definitely think uh, the Randy Quaid character really went off, probably off the, the the wall, as we know as the Peter Blunt system, or when he's saying, um, or when he was playing golf uh, with uh, Robert Stack's character and the other guys. Um, Chevy Chase didn't care if he was on the screen, um, especially when he was walking through uh, with uh, Jackie Mason's character. Ah, Mr. Wrinkles, and that's Winkle. Mr. or is that Mrs.? <laughs> you know, or Mr. Foreskin, uh, Forster, whatever. You know, I think it could have been at least high. I would have gave it a 10%. Shush. Well, I have to just chime in. We took, because we mentioned the movie twice during the episode, Hot to Trot. Yes. I don't know if you know this, but Gomez and Jason has a 0% score. On the tomato meter wow. and a four, but a forty percent audience score. That's a big swing. That's a huge swing compared to Caddyshack Two, where it's a lot closer at four and eighteen percent. That's the only reason I wanted to bring it up. So now that I'm thinking about it, it almost seems like the audience wasn't too far behind hmm. the critics on this one, especially in a movie like Hot to Trot. But yeah, but you also look at the critics back in the '80s, and you look at the critics now. They still can't even get it right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- I think critics be damned a lot, but I want to put a hypothetical question out there for you. Take the same movie. Take Caddyshack 2. Same script, same actors, but it's not a Caddyshack movie. They take they take it out of that realm. They, it's not a sequel. It's just another golf movie. Does, is it better received then? Yes, I will say that immediately. Yes, because people, Caddyshack is beloved when it comes to comedies. And anything with that name is expected to at least attempt to rise to that level. And 
This one, unfortunately, didn't. Thankfully, though, they didn't pull a Teen Wolf on it, and they just used the the number, like the Roman numeral two, <laughs> as opposed to calling it Caddyshack T-O-O. So at least they spared us all from that. Oh, oh God, that was horrible. <laughs> Jason Bateman, I'm sorry, man. That was your worst movie ever. <laughs> uh, I, I don't even remember Teen Wolf 2. I mean, I remember the first Teen Wolf, but... Yeah, I, I probably avoided that one like the play. If you want, to, if you want another one for your show, there you go. Watch Teen Wolf too. Oh, so since you've mentioned it, you, you do realize I may have to drag you back here for that one. Uh, if you need to drag me back, I've seen that movie one too many times, and oh my god, this movie was. I think I think I saw that in the theater, and it was one of the few movies where I was almost like elbowing my buddies, going, "Can we leave? This is like." This was, so I don't know if I could say good things about that one. I would that would be really some, hard. Actually, there were some heartfelt moments in that one, but that you know what? We'll save that for another conversation. We're talking Caddyshack. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, trust me, this this show is completely about movie tangents and whatnot. I, I what was it? We we compared, you know. Mega shark and giant octopus of Star Wars. So you know. <laughs> now what about what uh, now? Caddyshack two, industrial light and magic. How would you, Jason, compare Caddyshack two to the Empire Strikes Back? <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> well, if you consider there was a different director from the original. No, we're not going down that road. <laughs> oh, although, although that being said, Empire Strikes Back. You know. Ten years ago, you ask me, yes, that's the, the best Star Wars film. Today, you ask me, it's the second best Star Wars film. Ooh. Are Rogue, you going to say Rogue One? Rogue One. Oh, To okay. me, has to be the best Star Wars film with Empire a close second. Oof. Sorry, was not a fan of Rogue One. I loved Rogue One. I just don't know if I, I think I'd still, I'd probably flip year two um but it's definitely in my top two i i went with revenge of the sith as my number one then empire's number two it's the first time you see darth vader <laughs> the frank invader yes the frank invader <laughs> uh I, I can see a Star Wars conversation coming up in a future episode as well. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I can. We just we just paused you for the next month now. <laughs> I, I'm fine. Hey, we want to talk Star Wars. I'm going to talk Star Wars anytime. That and Transformers. Oh, then you got the you got all three of us on that one again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it has come time, and Gomez, I'm going to I'm going to give the floor to you first. Mm-hmm. Who is your MVP of Caddyshack Two? Oh, Randy Quaid. Definitely okay. Peter Blunt. <laughs> just because I love, I just love his tangents. I love everything about his character. Uh, you know, there's one scene he's like, golf. It sounds like you got your nuts in your mouth. Golf. <laughs> so it's one of those, it's just his line. I think they let him go free on this movie. So I think that's why I loved his MV, him as MVP for this movie. All right, Brian. I have to echo that. I get uh, Peter Blunt for the win. The Peter Blunt system to me was one of the funniest, I guess you'd call it angry tangents alongside of Sam Kinison's tangent as a teacher and back to school. And knowing now about the whole fact that it was written for him, I could see why both of them resonated with me so much. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to, I'm going to steal a little bit from playlist wars here. 
We do not have a trifecta because oh. my my MVP of this film is Robert Stack. Okay, number two for me. So <laughs> definitely, he would be number I, two. <laughs> There's something about, and, and I, I said earlier, the the villain has to be good to make the movie good. Um, and you guys mentioned Airplane. Robert Stack was brilliant in that. You mentioned you know Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, uh, and of course the voice of Ultra Magnus. He, the, the lines that he delivers, they're so understated, especially when you have such big name comedic actors of the time, like Jackie Mason, like Dan Aykroyd, like Chevy Chase, like Randy Quaid. And yet somehow Robert Stack's jokes come off, I think, as some of the more unheralded funny ones of the movie. And he's the perfect foil. He is the perfect foil as, you know, to Jackie Mason. He is the perfect unloving husband to his wife. Like, there's just so much to not like about this character that it takes a really good actor to pull that off. And I think Robert Stack kind of steps up in a movie that kind of stepped down and Robert Stack all the way for me in this one. All right. I like the pick too, but I I, I got to go with Peter Blunt's system. <laughs> And His now we'll turn was, it over to the It's uh, Not That Bad website for you to vote for which one of us is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I got I got confused. Brian, that's tomorrow's show. That's, I know. The, that's, that's Tuesday's shows. Come on. I apologize, Jason. <laughs> this is your show. It, it is uh, PTSD from all the Playlist Wars episodes. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, so long, as long as Gomez kept his sleeves on, we're fine. <laughs> Actually, I, well, you know what's kind of funny? I am wearing a sleeve shirt tonight. Oh. <laughs> I'm disappointed I, uh, now. <laughs> well, uh, and, and my contacts are off and I'm wearing my glasses, so I'm total nerd tonight. Ah, okay. I'm going with the Peter Blunt look. <laughs> and for that, we better go. Um, <laughs> uh, Brian Gomez, thank you guys so much. Uh, where can they find Playlist Wars and where can they find you guys out on Twitter? You can find us at PlaylistWarsPodcast.com and on Twitter, we are at playlist wars we'd love to connect with people hit us up if you follow us we'll follow back especially if you're another podcaster we'd love you know uh, you know meeting other podcasters who over time become friends like you jason uh, we, we've been back and forth on each other's shows it's been such a pleasure getting to know you over the last six months and uh for me at least and i'm sure gomez feels the same way he'll say it after me thank you thank you thank you so much for having us on this is an absolute blast I had a great time today. It was a great show. I uh, can't go wrong with Caddyshack, too, because we all love it. Well, <laughs> secretly. <laughs> I, I can safely say that you guys have been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to this and Made You a Mixtape. It is always fun to hang out with you guys. And for our listeners, here's the deal. If you want to join in the fun and you think there's a movie that is unfairly maligned or just bad enough, that there's no way in hell that anyone can find anything good to say about it, hit me up on Twitter, at NotThatBadCast. As for a few other episodes of this, you can find us anywhere you get your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, Good Pods, especially Good Pods. Um, thank you so much for listening to this episode of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades and B movies. Until we serve up another low-rated film, we'll catch you next time. Take care.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 